you've got a Bible handy, and I uh, hope that you do, I encourage you to open to Luke, the 19th chapter. Uh, hold that uh, there for just a few minutes. Uh, we're going to jump into Luke 19 there in a second. We're going to read this whole passage together uh, in just a couple minutes here. Um, we're on page 790, I'm sorry, 743 in the Pew Bibles there. If you need a Bible, by the way, you can grab one of those Pew Bibles and uh, take it home with you. It's yours to keep and to use. We're going to start off with a little video here that sort of introduces uh, the background behind what we're doing today on Palm Sunday, the background to our passage here in uh, Luke 19. It's a short little video by a couple guys. Uh, they call themselves the Skit Guys. And if you've been with us for a few years, you probably uh, recognize these guys. They started out doing skits at youth ministry conferences, and uh, there are a couple of jokesters who, um, who do a pretty good job, and at the same time uh, present the truth uh, attractively and very well. Uh, so here's a little intro from the skit guys. Hey, Tommy and Eddie here to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's the Sunday that we paint our palms purple to commemorate King Saul talking to that palm reader lady, and then we wave him in the air. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it no. is. What Bible do you read? Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now picture this. Jesus rode in on a donkey while the crowds put their cloaks and palm branches all over the ground, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. That's what I said. That's what I meant. Okay, now picture this. Jesus' popularity was going viral. I mean, he just raised Lazarus from the dead in the same community just a few days earlier. Wait, post-dead Lazarus was maybe at the very first Palm Sunday? Yeah, probably. That's so cool. I bet if he was there, he was probably like, And you're a thriller, thriller, Jesus. You raised me from the dead when you said, Get up, get up, get up, Now, to complete all of this, Jesus needed a donkey. Now, you'd think that a king or a prince would ride in on a horse, but not Jesus. He knew the message that he wanted to send. You see, a donkey represents peace. Anybody riding a donkey represented peaceful intentions. Yeah, it says right here in Matthew 21, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples to get him a donkey. Yeah. Hey, I wonder which two he sent. Mm, maybe Thomas. I doubt it. I bet he sent Andrew. Andrew would totally do that. And probably... Tony. I bet he said Andrew and Tony. Tony's not a disciple. Oh, sorry. Tony is. Still not a disciple. What translation of the Bible do you read? Jesus needed a donkey, so he asked two disciples to go get him a donkey. He told them they would find one in town, tied there next to a colt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, untie them and bring them to me. And if somebody asks you about it, you tell them the Lord needs them? Jeez. Yeah. What? Well, Jesus told his disciples to go steal a donkey for him. What Bible do you read? It doesn't say that at all. I can't figure this out. I mean, Jesus, he changed water into wine. Cool. He fed the 4,000. He fed right? the 5,000. What? He fed the 5,000. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Not the fourth. It's the 5,000. We're splitting hairs. I'm sorry. Jesus fed a large group of people. and That's cool. He, he healed people with leprosy. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then boom, he's like, hey guys, go steal me a donkey. I'm just saying, I don't think that's very WWJD. The significance of Jesus riding on a donkey, which he did not steal, 
was to fulfill the prophecy that is found in Zechariah 9.9. Yeah, but... The and the king, riding in on a lowly donkey with his way paved with palm branches, the palm branches symbolized triumph or victory. The what? The palm branches. The branches? Palm thought... branches, Palm Sunday. Oh. I thought it was the palm... They should call it Branch Sunday, because that's confusing. We all have palms with us all the time. I just, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the agony of His passion and the joy of His resurrection. So this week, let's cover the road to the cross with our hearts, our souls, and our minds as we reflect on the final week of Jesus' life. And let's celebrate in anticipation the return of the King of Kings. I like what he says there at the end about covering the road with our hearts. We want to do that today, in a sense, with how we're going to approach the story of the triumphal entry. We're going to approach it that way, in a sense, and look at how Jesus is the one who is watching the parade. So I have a question for you. Show of hands. Easy question. How many of you have ever been to a parade? Raise your hands if you've been to a parade. Pretty much all of us here. Okay, good. Everybody here has been to a parade. If you've been in Greene County at least a few years, you know that uh, every year, right before Christmas, all the community comes out and we have a big parade. Uh, all the dads have their kids on their shoulders. Uh, people are waving the flags in the air. And you can hear the bands playing the songs that we all know. And uh, they're throwing out candy even. And so that's why I like the parade. So, so there's nothing you don't like about a, a parade like that, of course. But I have another question, uh, easy question, show of hands. How many of you have been in a parade? If you've been in a parade, okay, quite a number of you as well. Now, this is, uh, there's a stark difference between going to a parade and being in a parade. When you're in the parade, it's a totally different kind of perspective on what's going on there. It's a totally different perspective from the street looking out at the crowds on the side of the streets. And when, when like Jesus here in Luke 19, when you're the entire focus of the parade, instead of just being one of a number of people parading down the streets, when your entire focus in the parade is you and the people who are cheering and singing are there to cheer and to sing about you, it's a whole new perspective. It's a whole different way of, of thinking about what's going on there. I think it means you ask different questions. You, you see differently what's going on. You, you think to yourselves, you think to yourself, why are they here? What motivates these people on the sides of the road here to cheer along? And, and I think it, it means that you ask the question, is the cheering here is it about me or is it about them? I think that's Jesus' perspective here in Luke 19 at what we call the, the triumphal entry. Why are these people here? I think Jesus is asking this question. What motivates them to cheer along? Is their cheering here about me or is it about them? As we read Luke 19, 28 to 44, uh, together here in just a second. I want you to think about these kinds of questions. I want you to think about this story differently than our perspective looking in. I want you to think about Jesus' perspective looking out at our hearts. 
as to what motivates our presence at this parade. Because as we'll see as we read through this and look at the, the passage here, different people are coming to this parade with different kinds of motivations, with different kinds of reasons and experiences in mind. So I think we need to ask ourselves these questions. Why are we here? What motivates us to participate and, and, and is our cheering, is, is the parade, is the celebration, is it about us or is it about the one being celebrated? Before we read, let's ask God's blessing on our time together in the word. Father in heaven, we want to we have hearts that reflect your heart. We want to ask a question, the questions of our hearts that you ask. And so, Lord, we... We ask that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from your word. That our hearts would be increasingly shaped like your heart. We want to ask ourselves, why are we here this morning, Lord? What motivates us to cheer along? And we ask, Lord, that you would search us, search our hearts and minds today. Is Is our cheering here, is our celebration here, Is it about you? And we ask, Lord, that you would convict us of the ways that that our cheering is about us. And we ask that you would refocus and reshape us because of our time in the Word this morning. Amen. Verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just As he told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In verse 41, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and you will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
This, this scene starts, it started when, when Jesus had two of his disciples borrow an unbroken young donkey for him to ride into the city. The procession began as Jesus and his group crested a hill called the Mount of Olives that was just east of the city. And that hilltop there stood 200 feet above the temple compound, above the temple mount in that capital city. So they were looking down from 200 feet above. And there's this this road that snakes its way down through the hill, down through the olive groves that heads directly into the eastern gate of that great city. And there were crowds that were, were gathering along the route there. They began to lay their coats and the palm branches across the path, uh, rolling out sort of their version of the red carpet there. And the, the cheers began to ring out. Hosanna, they cried. That word means Jehovah saves. The song that they cried comes from Psalm 118, where it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Others shouted, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And I wonder, what motivated those people to be here on that day? For those with, with eyes to see and with, with ears to hear, that, ha- that day had been a long time coming. For many in the crowd that day, this was a celebratory occasion. A chance to, to sort of publicly proclaim the joys of following the King the Messiah, the one who was there to bring reconciliation with God. So why did they line those streets to cheer Jesus? Those people lined the streets to proclaim publicly the relationship with Christ. Jerusalem was already crowded for the Passover feast. There were over 100,000 people in that city that day. That's six times the normal population. And Passover, of course, was the biggest event of the Jewish faith. It was the largest day, the largest week on the calendar for the Jews. And it marked the deliverance of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt and their march to the promised land. But this Passover was different Because Jesus was in town. For three years, he had traveled across the country teaching and performing amazing miracles. He'd been in Jerusalem before, but this time it was different. And Jesus knew it. He had been telling his disciples as he approached Jerusalem. He had been telling them that something big was about to happen. The word began to spread and expectations for that day were at a fever pitch. Just days earlier... Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So for some in this crowd, this was a chance to proclaim that King Jesus was starting something new, a new kind of kingdom that would raise people from the dead like Lazarus. In the Gospel of John, in fact, the Lazarus account comes immediately before the triumphal entry. So John is placing them together and saying, at the beginning of Passion Week, we know that resurrection's going to happen. So there were many in the crowd whose lives had already been touched by Jesus, just like Lazarus. I can't help but think that that Lazarus himself was right there on the front row, maybe right behind Jesus. I suspect he was one of the first to take off his cloak and to lay it on the ground for the coming king. I'm sure he was one of the ones singing the loudest, 
Hosanna. I bet Zacchaeus probably wasn't far behind. And maybe this time he actually got a a front row seat. Maybe Bartimaeus, the formerly blind man from from Jericho, and, and the lame man from the pool of Bethesda, maybe he was there. I'm sure there were many others who were there in the crowd who were there because they had been changed by their relationship with Jesus. There must have been outcasts, tax collectors. There were probably a few lepers in the crowd. And because Jesus had touched many lives, I'm sure many of those people were in the crowd that day, lining the road to Jerusalem, singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe there were some who were there who were just curious. You sort of... You sort of see how a crowd can build. You, you, you know how that happens. People hear the noise, and they come to find out what's happening. And before they know it, they're joining in. They, they may not even have a clue what's going on, at, at least not yet. Maybe some were there sort of raising their hands like an excited child in a classroom. Teacher, teacher, pick me. I want to be the next one who, who you do a miracle for. If the historians are correct, a big part of the crowd may have thought that they were inaugurating a new earthly king who would bring social peace and political freedom. Most Jews at the time thought that God's plan was to send a heavenly army down to liberate that city, Jerusalem, from the Romans who held them captive. The Messiah would lead the way, lead the way for that heavenly army, riding on a great white stallion with his sword flashing in the sun. But here comes the king instead, riding on a young donkey. A symbol of of peace. Exactly the opposite of a war horse. It's no accident that Jesus sets up the scene exactly this way. I'm sure there were people there expecting that kind of earthly king who are thinking, if if this is the Messiah, he is not living up to my expectations. You know, I think we we have a lot in common with with all of these people we've, we've mentioned. We can make the same mistake as these people we've just mentioned, creating an image of God as we think he should be. Because we want a God who always takes our side, a God who condemns other people's sins but never ours, a God who solves our problems and meets our needs. And maybe it's that side of human nature that explains how quickly Palm Sunday becomes Good Friday. Maybe it's, it's that side of human nature that explains how we get to verses 41 to 44. Where we see a very human side of Jesus and his response to what's going on here as he watches this parade. He's looking down at the crowded streets, the busy marketplaces below, rows and rows of houses. He sees the magnificent temple in all its glory, and maybe with, with nostalgia even, he thinks back over the centuries of history that have taken place on this same exact 
patch of real estate. David, Solomon, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Ezra, all the great history makers and heroes of the nation had stood on that same hillside and looked down at that great city where he stood. And that's where the parade perhaps grinds to a halt. Maybe those in the rear are wondering what's happening. What's going on up there? What's, what's he doing? What, what's he saying? Maybe he rounded a turn coming down the winding path, came to a clearing in the olive groves, and, and, and for a moment there, at 200 feet above, looking down at the city, Jesus gets a good look at the city spread out. And verse 41 He wept over it. Jesus watches the parade. And his response is weeping. Jesus watches the people lining the streets. This is the God who searches hearts and responds, verse 41... By weeping. There's obviously more to to Jesus' tears than just nostalgia. You see, Jesus knew it was coming. This parade was no accident. He knew what he would face by the week's end. He had even told his disciples that he had come here to die. He would be betrayed by a friend, tormented by his foes, and eventually crucified for the sins of the whole world. And they refused to believe him, and they argued with him, and they rejected him, and they mocked him. Jesus' tears were about sadness over those who had centuries of history and the teaching of the Old Testament and the prophets who preached the very ones who should absolutely know what was going on yet didn't understand why he rides in on a donkey instead of a war horse. Jesus' tears were for the people who would not believe him. He says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Friends, Jesus' tears, his response to what he sees Jesus' tears were for a world speeding down a one-way street toward self-destruction and divine judgment. Jesus' tears were for those who lined the streets, who wanted to make him into their own God that was about their glory and not his. I, I wonder... That if we saw, if we would learn to see the world with Jesus' eyes, if we might not shed more tears for the same reason Jesus does here. I wonder that if we saw with Jesus' eyes, we might shed tears over the indifference and the unbelief of our own city. Friends, I wonder that 
I wonder if we would have more passion for Christ if we saw more accurately the passion of Christ. So I wonder, from the perspective of Jesus looking out at us, out at the parades, out at who we are and why we're here, With Jesus searching our hearts and asking this question, why are you here today? Why are you in this seat? What motivated you to get up early to be here to worship? What are the motivations that get you up in the morning? Was it, was it to watch a parade, like to join in the fun parts of the party without having to get your hands dirty for what Jesus knew was coming, without having to get your hands dirty for the work of the kingdom and with people that can be hard and messy? Is that what this is for you? Do you struggle with making Jesus fit into what you want him to be, your small little manageable God, instead of a Savior? Are you here to let others see you in worship? Is your motivation to feel good about yourself? And if you don't receive that kind of good feeling from others for being here, are you disappointed? You see, many of God's own people, even here in the passage, did not recognize the time of God's coming. He had been telling his disciples, I'm coming here to die. I'm the Messiah. And how could they not see it? In other words, Jesus was here claiming to be God, the King, capital K, King of Kings, but his own people didn't recognize him. And so because of that, they could not receive him as he is meant to be received. You see, we receive him sometimes on our terms, don't we? We sometimes receive him as the small G God that we can manage, made in our image, to fit our expectations, to make me happy. When this is a God who is so infinitely bigger and beyond that, that his glory deserves every, everything good. Could it be that that as Jesus watches the parade of our life, that he is up to something and we are the ones not recognizing him? Because if that is the case, then that is tragic. I hope, I pray, that we are like Lazarus, Lining the streets to proclaim the Savior of the world, the one, capital O, who brings peace with God. That's why many of you are here today. You know what Jesus has done for you. You want everybody to know how grateful you are. And so, as you look at the world, you join with Him that, 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 that you have tears for the loss of people who don't know that joy. For you, worship, your presence here, your participation in the body of Christ is all about cheering on who Jesus really is. So why are you here 
day. Are you here to participate in Christian growth and fellowship that feeds your relationship so you can be sent out to proclaim the glories of your Savior? Are you here to listen to Him and follow Him at His word? Because this, like what's going on here in Luke, is an opportunity to recognize the Savior. Your participation in worship this morning is your opportunity to recognize Him for He for who He is, the King of all kings. Father in heaven, we are gathered as your people today. Gathered in worship today to ask that you uncover our hidden motivations. We're here to learn to follow you with more passion than we did yesterday. We're here bringing to you the best we can, Lord, knowing that in our own frailty, this side of heaven, we we don't bring perfect offerings, but Lord, you accept our offerings because in the cross you have made them worthy. At the end of this week, you will die for the sins of the world. And we want to be people who faithfully live according to what you've wrought for us on the cross. That our, that our lives, that our offerings here, that, that what we bring as a part of the body of Christ, that what we do when we leave this place sent to serve, sent to communicate the gospel by what we do and by what we say. We want all of our lives, Lord, to be worshipped to you. And so we ask that you would just search our hearts, that we would have a relationship with you that, that sees beyond our outsides to the hidden motivations that bring us here so that we would continue, Lord, to, to be open to your leading for us that we would continue, Lord, to be shaped like you. Father, root out sin so that we would continue, Father, to have a heart that is motivated by the things that motivate you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.